Thanks for joining us today on the Centerpoint podcast coming from the Loft on Main in Danville, Kentucky. For more information, check us out at centerpointdanville.com. Good morning. Uh, for you guys that don't know, my name's Stacy. I'm one of the campus pastors here. I want to welcome you to Centerpoint. Uh, and just want to thank you guys for coming out as we close out uh, on our series, um, Believe With Us. Um, today is Now What? Um, when Jason asked me if we wanted to do this, how we wanted to do it, I said, you know, I said, there's so much more to tell, you know? I said, we, we say believe with us and we, and we say that it happens a certain way, but there's so much more to it, so much more. And sometimes we miss the big picture because we're looking at these little steps that we're taking. And sometimes we just kind of get so far kind of out of focus that we just don't really see this big picture and see that this thing is not really about us. And it's more about him and what's going on in his life and, and, and what he would have for us. Um, today, we're going to close it out. Uh, and as we take time to see what's next, uh, when you... When you are centering, pointing, and living. Uh, Caitlin did a great job in the introduction of bringing that out. That's it. Uh, and you can see it. It's all around us. It's on this wall. It's that wall. It's centering, pointing, living. And today, that's as we close this thing out, um, we just want to ask God to bless it. And for people that are maybe still trying to catch it and try to understand what we're doing and, and how we kind of do things, um, I hope today that, uh, that God speaks to you in a special way. Father, we come to you now. Lord, we just want to thank you so much. Lord, we want to thank you for your blessings that you've given us here. And, and Lord, how you're helping us to continue to grow. Father, today, we have no control of our situations where we're at. Lord, sometimes life just happens. But Lord, we know that you know where we are today. And Father God, we just ask that today... May we just take a moment, may we pause, may we take a deep breath, and may we breathe you in. And Lord, as we breathe you in, may we let it change our lives in such a way that when we breathe out, people will see Christ. Father, guide us and lead us today, and may you do what you can only do, turn the hearts back towards you. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. Um, when we first started coming to Centerpoint, and, and that's me and, and my family, um, I had to ask the question, am I centering, am I pointing, am I living? Uh, am I doing these things? Uh, am I applying these things to my life to where that I can, can say that I am doing this? I am centering, I am pointing, I am living. And to be honest with you, I had to say no. After years of ministry and, and doing youth ministry and, and prison ministry, I come to see that I really wasn't centering, pointing, and living to Christ. I come to see that I was living out a temple model. A temple model. Now, we went through the temple model back in, in the beginning of it. And the temple model, a lot of us that have been to church in this area, because we are, we got to face it, this area, we're very churched. Very much. I mean, sometimes we're almost churched to death. But there was this temple model that I was living out. Because this is what I was told. This is the way you do this. And we had sacred places, sacred texts, sacred men, and sincere followers. 
And I come to find out that as I followed out this temple model, I was doing all the things that makes good people, but uh, not doing those things that make us disciples. Does that make sense? I was doing the things that make us good people, but I wasn't doing the things that make us disciples. Because you see, in the years of ministry and going to church, my mom, she made sure I was in church all the time when I was growing up. Just a small stint when I was like in my teenage years and, you know, I was ready to become a rocket scientist and and go to NASA because I knew everything. Yeah, yeah. At 16, I knew everything. And I was at this place and, you know, I did what they said do. But it never, it never translated into making disciples. So that comes up for today and what we're looking at. Now what? For the last three weeks, we've talked about the centering, pointing, living. Now what? You see, for me, I had to examine myself and look what Jesus told us to do. And he told us to do three things. He told us to love God, love others, make disciples. So I had to go back looking at my life and I had to see where I was doing this or where I wasn't doing this. The other week I brought up something and I brought up about DNA. And most of us know what DNA is. But I had to go looking at my spiritual DNA. And it wasn't making disciples. The spiritual DNA I had was more about who all I could invite to church. How many people could I get to come out to my youth event? How, how, much, how, bigger, how, how much bigger could I have with a youth event? I mean, could I make a youth event that would bring in a lot of people? We did that. We did that. And the group I was working with at that time, we, we did this youth revival, and it was so great. We had four or 500 kids coming out a night. And this is in Casey County. Lord knows they need it, okay? If you're from this area, you'll know what I'm saying. And it was awesome. And as we went through this, and, and the kids would come to the altar, and they would weep, and, and, and they, they'd say they accepted Christ, and, and they would just, we were looking for change. And I told the guys we were with, I said, we won't know if we had true revival until two years from now. And they were all excited. They said, but look what we've got coming out. I'm like, there's a lot of thunder happening. But is there any power in it? As time went on, I wondered about what we had done. And God started dealing with my heart about it. And I wondered, did we really do the right thing? Ushering kids into the throne of grace and then telling them, hey, have a great life. Read your Bible. Good luck. I don't see, I don't see that multiplying. I told some friends of mine, uh, and recently we discussed it again because we go back and we revisit this situation we went through. I told them, I said, I think what we committed uh, during some of those times is spiritual abortion. We took kids to the throne of grace. We told them good luck and we left them. For some people that might, you know, 
it just depends on how you look at it. But it messed me up. It messed me up in a way that God could do something with me finally. That I could see that it wasn't about my religion. It wasn't about the show. But it was about introducing them to a man and holding their hand as they went through a journey. Because I know they're going to fall. We all do. Every day. But when we step out into the world, we put on our righteous mask and we step out and we're like, amen, everything's right with the world. And we go get in our car and we sit there and we cry and we bawl our eyes out because life isn't perfect. If you'll notice when I do speak, I'm very open about who I am and where I've been. And I don't like reopening these wounds sometimes. They hurt. They hurt a lot. And I think there's times it would be better for me to keep them close to me and not share them. But if if I trust that God is with me and going through life with me and he's directing me, should I not share that? If it helps me to grow, should I not share that wisdom that it might help you to grow too? So I got to looking at my spiritual DNA and it wasn't making disciples. So I had to go back and start again and see what I really loved. I found out that I was just loving myself. That was it. It was all about me and it was all about what I was doing. It was about getting with this group that I was with that I thought we were doing a great thing and not saying it was all bad. But we were always fighting to see who would put their name on the top part of the venue, you know? Well, I'm going to do this this week and then my church is going to sponsor this. You guys come hang out with us and this is our moment to shine. They'd invite all the old people into the church. They come see what our youth are doing. Why did they want our youth? Why did they do that? Because that's how we got money. That's how we got more money to do more things with our youth. We've seen it as a great tool. And once you start manipulating that and laying that out, it's very manipulative. And it's evil. Because you see, the eyes come off of the one they should be fixed upon onto something that man's made. And it was never to be that way. The love that we have should never be pointed back to ourselves, but it should always be pointed to the one that gave us love. One of the things that I learned when I first started going back and checking out my spiritual DNA was that you got to love God. You got to love God. To be able to make disciples, you got to love God. And to love God, I found out one thing that God is love. It goes together. And I come to find out that I can't love anything absent of Him. Because without Him in my life, how can I love anything? Without Him in my life, the only thing I'm going to be focused on is me.
what affects me, what happens to me. But as I focus upon Him, you see, it changes what we care about. The question is, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? Throughout this whole thing, through everything that we've been through, what does love require of me? John chapter 13, 34, 35 says this. And a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Changing what we care about is not easy. You'll hear us say that quite a bit here. And there's a reason for that. We have to change what we care about. It's not about the numbers that come in today. As though it is great to see people that want to come out and worship together and and, and focus their attention on God. It's not about that. It's about how we're loving through the week when we go out. And I've told you all, I have no problem with Sunday. This is the easiest thing I could ever do. This is putting on the dog for me. I mean, this is sweet. Y'all don't get that, do you? Okay. This is sweet. This is what I do. I can do this all day long. Ask my wife. I can talk all day long and not shut up. We don't have cell phones. So, when my wife wants me to be home at a certain time, I say, I will be home. Do you need anything? She says, stop by the store and get this. That is a death sentence to me. You know how many people I know? And I meet them always at the store. And we start talking. You know? 20 minutes turns into two and a half hours, maybe three hours. My wife always says, could you not let me know where you're at? I think you're dead in a ditch. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The cops will respond a lot quicker and they'll let you know if I've had a car wreck. But for me, this is it. I can do this. But I had to change what I care about. I had to start worrying more about people that I meet in my daily life. And the people that are with me than me worrying about myself. You see, the DNA code that makes us who we are, once it is there, you can't change that. The DNA code that's in me right now was put there when I was born. And it's there. And it's what makes me up. Whether it's right or wrong, that's the way that is. I can't change that part of me. But spiritual DNA can be rewritten. It can be rewritten. The Holy Spirit is writing it daily and helping us see what needs to change to be more like Jesus. You say, are you sure it can be rewritten? Hey, listen, my little hard drive, my spiritual hard drive, I had to go out and wipe out about half of that thing. I had to get rid of it because it wasn't stuff to help the kingdom. It was just stuff to help glorify me. And I had to let Jesus start rewriting that and putting it into a form that I could use it in such a way that it would help others.
You guys know what this is? Y'all know what this is? Starfish. Thank you. Thank you. I thought somebody surely would say, that's Patrick. No, no, it's a starfish. (laughs) This is a starfish. It's a very unique creature. Very unique. Years ago, uh, the Great Barrier Reef, there were some divers that were there. And uh, there was a large population of starfish that attached itself to the reef. Well, the divers got worried that it would damage the reef, that it might hurt it somehow. So they did what I guess good divers do. They went and got other good divers. They said, we got to go take care of this. So they went out, got their diving equipment, dove into the reef, and they took the starfish and they decided to wipe out the population and they took out their knives and they cut them in two. Now, If you don't know much about a starfish, that's kind of a sad story. But the cool thing about a starfish is that when you cut it in two, you make two. They live. If I took the starfish and I cut off just one part here of the star, all right, if I cut that off, it will turn into a starfish. It has the DNA made up in this part to reproduce and and to grow and to be what it is. Once I figured that out, I thought that was pretty cool. Now, this starfish right now is outside of its environment or culture. When it's outside of its environment, it dies. This is what it turns into. But inside its culture, inside its environment, it thrives. It thrives. Now, let's look at ourselves. What happens to us when we are outside of our culture? When we are outside of our culture, we become monuments. Trophies of the past. You say, what do you mean? Well... God created us to go out into the world. He said, go. That's where we're supposed to be at. We're not supposed to be cowarding and pulling ourselves back into a closet and saying, this is where I'm going to stay. This is the place for me. He said, go. Our culture is all around us. Our culture is where we work at and who we hang out with. You see, outside of our culture, we become monuments. But inside of our culture, we can become movements, changing lives for his kingdom. Say, what are you saying? I'm saying, if we are like the starfish, okay? Let's say the DNA of us, we get the DNA fixed to where we're doing God's work, we're doing God's kingdom. What happens if I leave this room? Well, I've got that spiritual DNA with me everywhere I go. It's with me. If we wanted to create a movement like Jesus created, how would that work? Well, if I have that DNA with me everywhere I go, I can do that. I can create a movement anywhere I am, at any time, at any place. I can create this movement. 
And you see, that's, that's a lot of our goal. Is we hope that the spiritual DNA will be written upon each of us. And as we go out into our community, as we go out into our culture, as we go out into our environment, we take that with us. We take that with us. Not just go ask somebody to go to church, but go to engage somebody about a life with Jesus. I very seldom invite people to church. Very seldom. Church doesn't save people, but introducing them to my Jesus will change their lives. I'm not saying it's wrong to invite people to church. What I'm saying is that if that is our goal, we've missed it. It's not about inviting them to church. It's about inviting them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes the DNA isn't in us to create a movement. And we have to change that. We have to change that. You see, making differences in people's lives out of love is probably one of the greatest things we could do. You say, how do you do that? We just kind of start hanging out with them and start maybe having some coffee with them. Create a relationship. There's a guy I work with and uh, he's got a He's got a story that's unbelievable. And he's hilarious. I love hanging out with him. But he doesn't have a lot of friends. And we were at work the other day and I was getting ready to leave. I said, hey, I said, uh, maybe we ought to go get some coffee sometime. Wasn't sure what he would say. He said, I would love to go get coffee with you sometime. Cool. That's a date. We won't say date. That was, yeah, I don't like saying date, mandate. Uh, but uh, it's a mandate. We're going to get some coffee. Now what's going to happen when we go get coffee? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to ask him to tell me his story. I want to hear where he's been and what Jesus has been doing through his life. Whether he knows Jesus has been working or not, I want to know his story. Then at some point, he's going to ask me mine. And I'm going to get to share with him where God has brought me. Because you see, the DNA is in us. The spiritual DNA is there. And whether we create a movement or a monument, that is up to us. So, I asked this question years ago. Now what? Ask myself this. And I find out that this isn't the first time this question has been asked. Now what? In our lives, everything that's going on, it's not the first time it's been asked. Peter asked it in the days after Jesus' death. And if you don't know much about Peter, Peter was very bold, very bold. And uh, he would usually speak, I think, I guess the best way. He would speak before he engaged his brain sometimes. Most of us men, we don't have that problem. You know, we always think things through. But Peter had this little thing, and he would just throw it out there. He'd be like, this is it. There's one day he told Jesus, he said, he said, Jesus, he said, I wouldn't just go to jail for you. I would die for you. 
Jesus told him, he said, Peter, he said, before this day's done, he said, you will have denied me. Peter's like, never, never could I deny you. And you have to understand, they walked with Jesus. They saw the miracles that were performed. But we also know what happened. Before the cock crowed three times, he denied that he ever knew him. Denied it. So Peter, Peter decides after this is all over with, in John chapter 21, he, what he's going to do. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee. The sons of Zebedee and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. You see, he says it right here. I'm going out to fish. I'm going out to fish. You say, so what do you mean? He said, now what? He had been with Jesus for three years. Watched him murdered. Watched him crucified had denied him. Peter tells him, guys, I'm going back to fishing. This was good. It was fun. He's dead. It's over. I'm going back to the world. The thing I know to do, I'm going back to that. You see, it's easy for us to say, now what? But the direction we turn when we say that Hinges all upon what our relationship is with Christ. Peter at this time, I'm sure he was ripped in two. As much as he wanted to be bold and and be there, he did the one thing he said he wouldn't do. He denied his Lord. I don't know about you guys, but for me, that'd be a pretty terrible time. That'd be a terrible time. So Peter takes the group and they go fishing. They fish all day. They don't get nothing. Or that night they fish. Next morning they don't have anything. Unbeknownst to them, Jesus is on the shore and he hollers at them. Tells them, he says, hey, throw your nets on the other side. And they do. And man, they catch a, they catch a bunch of fish. Peter was so excited he couldn't wait. And he jumped in the water and he swam because he knew. John even makes this statement. He says, Peter, that's him. That's him. Peter swam back to the shore. They get back to the shore and, 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 and they cook up the fish and they eat it. And then it gets real. It gets real. You say, what do you mean? We know that Jesus looks Peter in the face. And he asks Peter a question. If Jesus is looking you in the face, and you know that today, it's real. It's real. And and there's going to have to be some answers given. But in John 21, 15 through 19, it says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, 
said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he's asking him, do you love me more than these other disciples here? And Peter tells him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Now, feeding my lambs, that would be, that would be the terminology of, of a young one. Feed this young one. Feed this one. Then he goes on to say, he says, and again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. The question that Jesus asked him was, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter wanted the love, but because of where, where he had been, just been, he questioned his love. And I think there's sometimes we all do. When we fall short, we question, do I really love you? If I really loved you, would I do this thing again and again and again? This thing that pulls me away from you, this thing that that draws me away, that we don't have the relationship that I want. If I really loved you, would I continue to do this? We wrestle with that. So the question is this. What is keeping us from loving today? What is keeping us from loving today? Not just loving Jesus, but loving others. He knew it. What is keeping us from loving today? Verse 18 says this. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. You see, when Jesus was using this terminology of love, we use one word for love. You know, I love pizza. I love my wife. I mean, they don't go together. It's a different kind of love. And the last love that he threw out to him, it's not just, you know, do you love me as a friend? He's like, do you have that sacrificial love for me, Peter? Would you sacrifice everything you have because of your love for me? Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Those two simple words, those two simple words, follow me. You don't ask somebody to follow you that you don't love. You don't ask somebody to follow you that you don't want to be with. You don't ask somebody to follow you that that, that has done something to hurt you. You see, Jesus forgave Peter. And he brought him back to this place to let him know, Peter, yeah, we messed up. But there's going to be something so great happening. See, I believe in this room today we have history makers. I don't believe when Peter and them were sitting on the beach 
cooking this fish up and, and eating and hanging out. When he was denying him, Peter never saw what was really going to happen through the history of time. You see, for us today, I believe there's history makers in this room. We don't know what our stories are going to be, how it's going to be written out. We don't know what it's going to say. But I believe we're here. Some of us might go on to do great things and be put down in the history books. Maybe invent something that, 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 that cures cancer. That could happen in this room. There could be somebody that has that knowledge inside of them. But I also believe that there's that person in this room that is ready to see a movement start. A movement that would go out and not just affect Danville, but would affect this whole region. I believe that there's people in this room today that are ready to take the step to be a movement and not a monument. To take all they have and love with a love that is truly sacrificial. I mean, the question today really is will we be a movement or a monument? It would be something that takes on life and moves just like a starfish. Wherever you're at, you have that DNA to see a movement begin. Not just to be a trophy that's hung up on a wall or put up on a case, but to be a movement. But I guess it comes down to this. How are we going to respond? So it goes back to the original question. Now what? Are we going to go out the same way that we came in? Or are we going to stop and say, God, I want you to change this part of me. That I will be a movement. Wherever you drop me, wherever you put me, I will be a movement. Think about it. If only you can answer the question. Now what? Father, we come to you now, Lord. We're here again. Lord, we're seeking your face. We're seeking your wisdom. So many things that go on in our lives, Lord, we don't understand all of it. But Lord, we know that you love us right where we're at. We know, Lord, that today you want to have a relationship with us. Lord, today, as we have asked the same question over and over, may we wait to hear a response from you. May your spirit lead us and guide us. May we see only you and what we do. May our love not look towards us, but may our love look towards your kingdom and what you're doing. May we look not to be monuments in our community, 
just to build up something new that people will look at. But may we be there, Lord, to create a movement for your kingdom. Lord, may we see a starfish movement here. May we go out and may we be history makers in our communities. Lord, today, we ask you just to guide us on this. Lord, may we see you shine.